the world where the internet is filled with podcasts of people saying, I think this and I think that. There is a sanctuary brought to you weekly with no music, no commercials, no talent, and certainly no agenda. From the west side of Guilford in the United Kingdom, I'm Adam Curry. And up here in Northern California, where it appears to be hitting 85 degrees Fahrenheit today, I'm John C. Dvorak. Holy moly. It's a nice day here, too, actually. A little bit of rain, but uh, uh, I left on a beautiful day. What was that? Uh, what was it? When did I leave, John? <laughs> you left. It was windy and kind of miserable, actually. No, 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 no. no. That was Wednesday. Um, Thursday. Oh, that's right. I, I left Thursday. Right. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was warming up on Thursday. Uh, yesterday, it was uh, about 80. Uh, actually, in some places, it hit 86. And today... It, it didn't cool off last night, and it's hot already, and it's early in the morning, so this is going to be actually pretty Great miserable. Oh, a horrible day. Oh, okay. Well, no, not miserably hot. It's going to be hot. I may have to get in the convertible and drive around. <laughs> in the convertible. In the Mustang. In the Corvette. Actually, the I do have a Corvette, but this will be the Miata. Really? You have a Corvette? I didn't know you had a Corvette. 75. It needs work. Uh, what is that? It is a, a, a stingray? That's a stingray, yeah. isn't it? Oh, those are beautiful. I love the stingrays. Yeah. It's totally collectible. Uh, New York was well. beautiful. I was there for uh, for a day. Um, <laughs> you know, Maggie booked me on American Thursday. <laughs> from, Good work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't an MD-80. She checked that. But I'm like, Maggie, you know, they're going to be re- rebooking people on a million different flights. You know, so I, I sat in a... Uh, coach seat in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, that was not... Oh, you know, there was a big benefit, actually, uh, to sitting in the coach seat because um, there are lots of people with laptops around and, you know, I really couldn't move because, you know, once I had folded myself in, I was just there, right? And, I, and I, if I wanted to get out, I'd have to ask the person on either the right or the left of me if I could, you know, get out. Uh, but, so, but, but, but the, by the way, the, the good side of that, at least American Airlines has some leg room. Yes, Absolutely, but not enough to really maneuver my uh, legs. I'm six four, so it's kind of tough. What I, what I love about the uh, the seven sixty seven is it still has um, um, a three tube projector for the for the in flight movie. Oh yeah, it's funny. It's true. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm sitting there, and everyone has their laptop open, and I'm looking, you know, right in front of me. And uh, there's this uh, lady who's uh, writing up a PR proposal in PowerPoint. And, you know, and I'm like, I'm staring straight ahead. So, you know, I couldn't help but read. And I, I got nothing better to do. I do that all the time. Yeah, it's, it is kind of entertaining. So here's what she was writing up. Um, she was from a PR firm, apparently working on behalf of Skype. And uh, so it was a whole PR plan um, to go to the media to say email is becoming the snail mail of our age, and that is being replaced by the use of Skype. Um, which, and by the way, I'm not saying that that's completely invalid, that IM and VoIP uh, aren't replacing some pieces of email, perhaps. But what, what was apparent um, is that they had contracted Harris Interactive, which I guess is a, a surveying company. I don't know if you're familiar with them, John. Oh, yeah, they're famous. Okay, well, so basically, they paid Harris Interactive to extrapolate information to support this idea <laughs> it's not it's not like harris did a, uh, a survey and oh look at this look what we found out no skype literally came up with the pr idea or the this pr firm uh contracted harris interactive i could see her t- you know going through the survey and pulling out pieces and bits and putting that into this release so you can expect that to be uh, really big news uh, next week 
<laughs> you know, of course, that that technique is not is not new by any means. No, but it's uh, it's, my, a, it's a great technique. It, it it works all the time, doesn't it? Not if you're busted. <laughs> well, I'd say they're busted right now. Uh, if you're busted, it doesn't work at all. It makes you look like an idiot. Mm. And Microsoft used to try to pull that crap all the time, but but they would always get busted, mainly because it didn't. You know, they weren't doing it. You know, with any finesse, they were like over. You know, over promoting their side of the uh, issue with you know phony surveys. And if you did any research, all it takes is just a little research, and you'll find the survey with you know this famous survey that I guess Harris will be rolling out. You'll find who sponsored it was was the uh, client. Right. Exactly. And, and then they, and so they're the ones who designed the questions, and they're the ones who reinterpreted the data, and they're the ones who came up with this and that. Now, exactly why? Now, I think the more interesting question here, w- with what you've stumbled onto, and congratulations, by the way, thank you, uh, um, is why are they doing this? Do they need customers? I mean, this is not a big money maker necessarily for eBay. I think, just looking at the surface of it, that the reason they'd be doing this is because they want to dump Skype. On someone, yeah, they want to prop up the value of it before they dump. And they it. want to make it look like it's worth more, as part of some bigger trend that's so important. Well, there, there were there were a couple other um, a couple other pages to this presentation. One was that how did uh, you get, how you were sitting right next to her? No, right behind her. I was looking through oh, the that's seats. Perfect, right. Yeah. Oh, perfect right, angle. Right. So the other yeah. one was um, uh, they have a Skype has a deal with Hearst. And they're going to be, uh, a Skype will become a platform for the presidential candidates uh, to converse with the constituents. Huh. Uh, and uh, Hearst Media uh, Properties will be promoting that. So look, be on the lookout for that. And the third thing was, um, oh yeah, a show, that, uh, show to mainstream media, particularly uh, television producers, how incredibly useful Skype is in integrating into their programming. And the, uh, Skype apparently has a deal with Harpo, which is uh, Oprah's production company. So I, I don't watch uh, Oprah, uh, uh, but if, they, if she's not doing it already, I presume that uh, people will be uh, video, because this is all about the video conferencing, that part. They'll be video conferencing into the Oprah show. Oh, God, amateur hour. <laughs> you know, I mean, we can't even, and we're actually pretty smart. We can't even get a reasonable audio connection, let alone that they're going to do video with Oprah. Yeah, well, the, the, the funny thing is, is that, you know, this kind of thing, the, these video, when I was at Tech TV, they used they, they actually gave out something like, you know, two or three or f- maybe up to 5,000 of these little like uh, little cams that you could hook to your computer, and they'd have sure. this as a feature. So they'd have various shows, and they'd have some idiot calling in on this cam, and they the, the the guys who were running the company thought this was so cool. Yep. And, and and every time we read a review of what was going on at Tech TV, they'd talk about the amateurishness of this of their connections. And they wouldn't really know what was going on because if you just watched, were watching television and you turned on, a, on one of these shows and you had somebody in the studio talking to somebody on one of these, you know, Logitech cams. Yep. With the herky jerk and the lousy voice, and you couldn't even see them. They were fuzzy or they were pixelated. You'd go, "What a bunch! What a what? How this is the cheapest production I've ever. It just looked cheap <laughs> it looks and crummy." Shit. Well, you know what? Uh, I've seen this done lots of times. So yeah, so yeah, spam the audience, get them to to buy webcams and call in. But then I've seen them actually put professional cameras in. Uh, and make it look like it was a you know a webcam call. I've seen that happen lots of times because it is. Yeah, I the mean, whole thing. 
Why is the question on my mind? Why? What? What is the point? Is it, is it so you can be hip to yeah. have these things? You know, it's yeah, ridiculous. That's, it. that's the only reason. I, I agree. I don't think it has any. Or it usually does not have any. Does not have any value to the to the programming. So anyway, that so well when I've I've uncovered a few things in my day. You're looking between the seats, and by the way. Um, so it, it, I again congratulate you for this because I've never really gotten that much stuff. That's good, stuff is, yeah, but it was a six, you know six hour flight, so uh, I had plenty of time. And actually, I I I read along with her, John, until her battery ran down. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Drat the battery. Very very so, entertaining. Uh, so you must have had a good shot, a good angle, which is really helps a lot. I was one time in a in a seat, one of these things where you had the. Uh, I'm behind. There's a couple of airplane configurations where there's there's this three and three on either side, and on when you get to the emergency exit, all of a sudden there's two, mm. and then three behind it, so people can get out the the door. And I and the, your your best seat in a plane like this, and Southwest has a few of these, is to be in that seat where there's actually not a seat in front of you. It's just an empty space, right? Because that's where the, the emergency door is, which is a great seat. So anyway, so I, I nabbed that seat, and I'm sitting there, and the guy seat, seated in what would have been a middle seat, but there's only two seats there, pops open his laptop, and the angle I had because I didn't have to look between anything was of right. The in. guy's presentation, yeah. Unfortunately, it was about to use an insurance industry guy, and it was like well, whatever. Boring. <laughs> but I could read it. Yeah. Well, this is, I thought this was really interesting. So let's see how long it takes between uh, this sighting of the, uh, of the email is uh, being killed by Skype yeah, until, we actually, <laughs> until we actually see and, it. Yeah, we will. In fact, if anybody's listening to the show, they should uh, keep an eye out for it and give us a date. First sighting. Yeah, that's right. First sighting. First that's encounter or whatever yeah. they call it. So, uh, let's just talk about airlines for a second. I think, didn't you... Um, I think you sent me um, a note. You wanted to talk yeah, about this, something? Yeah, this guy, Peter Inova, sent in a, a memo saying that he had this weird suspicion. And as soon as he said it, it rang a bell with me because I used to be, and of course, you're going to always ridicule all these little careers I had. But wow. when I went, when, you were, when you were, I wait a, a minute, kid, you were an FAA inspector. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> when I was a kid, I had, uh, this is a, a lost era, by the way. When I was in both high school, and college in the summertime, I'd always work. This was when uh, Truman was our president, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. You're going to get yours eventually, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's coming coming fast. So... uh, because you could get summer jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I one some a few years back, I was in Port Townsend, uh, Washington, and there was a bunch of kids sitting around, and I wrote an op-ed someplace about how are these kids, a bunch of lazy bastards, they don't do anything during the summertime, it's during the summer. And it went on and on and on, and some one of my readers, a young younger reader sent me a note saying, hey man, don't be so harsh on these guys. You can't get work. There isn't anything. There's no factory around. There's none of these things that you used to have when you were a kid to go work at. And so I kind of laid off of them after that because I looked around and it's true. There's nothing to do in the summertime. You know, maybe do volunteer work for Obama. <laughs> How about, that? Uh, does it. Grit still exist? The newspaper Grit? <laughs> yeah, you could you win see, a bike, yeah. man, by delivering I Grit. Think- you know, I here's a f- funny story about grit. I uh, oh, I don't don't don't. 
don't don't go into grit yet. Shaggy dog our way out of this. Okay. Um, I saw a thing for grit recently, and I and it was like a free two issues, and I wanted to see what it looked like, so I signed up, you know, and I all I got was the bills. I never got a copy. Oh no! no. That's outrageous. So it does. So it exists still. It's still out there. Grit. Yeah. Well, at least at least as of a couple years ago. Anyway, but I don't think kids are going door to door with it. <clears throat> they never did when I was. A so kid how about either, retail? I mean, my my daughter works uh, weekends and summer and vacation days in uh, in retail. Isn't there plenty of retail stuff for kids to do? Oh, compare that to a factory job at full union pay and benefits. Mm, yeah, that's true. I mean, I was walking out of every summer with just a ton of money. You know, what, you, know, you know what's great about my uh, my daughter has this job at uh, Jack Wills, which is kind of like an Abercrombie and Fitch type uh, clothing store. Really expensive, you know, like you know, sweaters for three hundred pounds. It's nuts. And what they do is, I, I love the system they set up. They hire all these beautiful kids. Um, who love this brand anyway, they give them a 90% discount on anything they buy in the store. So, and of course they pay them, you know, just barely minimum wage with absolutely no benefits. And so what winds up happening is these kids spend 60 to 70% of their salary on the clothing because they can get it at a 90% discount. So it's like this perpetual marketing ecosystem they've built up. And all these kids have to do is just, yeah, they, they restock the shelves, but they walk around, help people say, oh, this looks nice. Don't you think that would, be, would look good on you? And they're basically Uber salespeople who are super incentivized. Yeah, but are they as good as the old timers that used to work in those stores? And you know, when you see shows like "Are You Being Served," <laughs> Mr. Humphreys, are you free? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Certainly not as colorful as "Are You Being Served." <clears throat> no. Anyway, the point is, is that there's not none of these. You, when I was like, again, I used, to, I, man, I worked in sheet metal shops. I, anyway, I, I, I got the clue early on that the, the job you wanted to have was inspector. And by the way, John, uh, I've had a lot of jobs like that because it was still possible when I was young. So let me just show my age. Okay, Inspector. Uh, one year I was working as a receiving clerk at International Harvester, which was a pretty good gig. And then the, um, uh, but I noticed that the, my main job there, because I was working graveyard, which was kind of the drawback to some of these summer jobs, but it was okay. I was working because I don't get jet lag. Anyway, I had this graveyard <laughs> shift, and my main job actually turned out to be guarding the entire factory against some big boss coming in at night for some unknown reason and warning the inspectors who were all upstairs playing poker <laughs> and, and they would play poker until like six in the morning unless a tra- unless a train came in this was the days when a train would come in and they still do it i think in the bigger factories big train lotus parts would come in and then you'd have to get these guys rousted and they'd come down and um Inspect stuff. In, in, inspect the individual components or whatever was coming in. Well, they inspected the shipments to make sure that they were legit and they're, you know. Were these, know was this did. governmental inspectors or inspectors for the factory employed inspectors? Fact, factory employed inspectors. Okay. Anyway, so I, I figured out that this is the job you wanted. So anyway, over the years, I got I, during the summer, I'd get various jobs as, as an inspector here and there at at full union pay because I came up, I, I, I stumbled on to an interesting, uh, I wouldn't call it a scam, but it, but a technique because early on when you were a kid uh, and you went to summer, get a summer job, they'd give you a summer job. You'd go to Ford and you'd get a summer, and it was a job for these, you know, for college because yeah, you got paid well, but it was a crap job. You had to, you know, it was just horrible. Some, you know, picking up spare bolts, you know, and putting them in a <laughs> bin or something just that's all you did all day 
or even assembly line jobs weren't that much fun. So I went, took this, just as a, as a lark one year, I wanted to get this one specific job, and they asked me about my, I think I was a sophomore at Cal or something, and, I, and they said, uh, so why are you taking this job? I said, well, I'm, college is too hard for me. I'm, I'm quitting. <laughs> so I, I told them I'm quitting school, and I'm going to work for them. So I got this really nice um, inspector's job. And then the thing I stumbled onto, which was the, was the note of genius, was at the end of the summer, and I actually probably stretched it a little further because of so much good money. I told I had to go back to school. I really had to get back to school full time. So I told them that, you know, I've worked here for these many months and it was a, it's a great experience for me. I've learned a lot. But, you know, I've decided to go back to school. And the, <laughs> Oops. And, and, and they fell all over themselves with congratulations. <laughs> you are the hope for the American dream, son. Go back to school. Get your education. Become president. So instead of getting mad at me for just working the summer, you know, it was, uh, oh, that's great. It's great you're going back to school. If you ever need anything from us, let us know. So, you know. (laughs) How about the thousand bucks? So anyway, so, uh, but there was an era when I was an inspector at Trailmobile where I had, um, being an inspector, you just, I would, we were working on cargo containers when they were still made in this country. And, um. And and this is where the story about the FAA comes in. So I'm there's one guy that's on one of the lines that I'm inspecting, who I just love talking to because the guy was essentially a stand-up comic, mm. and he was doing his job all the time. But he would be talking to me a lot and telling me jokes. In fact, there's still jokes that he's I still use a couple of them, and this is years ago. But he and he would be, had he had little magic tricks, and the guy was hilarious. And so uh, one day the foreman of that line comes over and choose me out. I mean, he's not my boss because I'm working, I'm an inspector, they're independents. But choose me out for wasting this guy's time and being a jerk for being there. And and he just went on and on and on and on, just giving me crap for this thing. So I pulled out, the the way it was done, you have these little red pieces of tape and then you'd have these little little pieces of slips that you'd write on for errors. I I started papering his products because if you've never worked in a factory and if you don't know how things actually work, which is one of the, I think a drawback to the American public today, they don't get it. Mm-hmm. Nothing meets spec. Right. Very few things ever manufactured actually meet spec. They're all within, you know, a range tolerance uh, and, levels. Yeah. And it's sometimes, you know, it's way off spec, but it's, still acceptable at some point and inspectors have to have enough sense to let certain things go you know it's like a cop when he pulls somebody over he has to like make a decision whether he's going to write up a ticket or not and you know if you want to turn up the you know if you want to go by the book you can plaster anything with with rejection right. stickers right so i covered this guy's line because there was a lot of little things little nicks and a piece of paint that's not 1.2 inches away from this spot you know where it's supposed to be where it's supposed to be and but but, but are, so what you're saying is that if if you actually played it by the book then not a single product would come out of that factory exactly yeah Maybe one, you know, that got lucky, but it would, you could probably still find something wrong with it. So I plastered his stuff. Just, it was just so much, and he, and he has to Oops. all these little problems, and some of them are almost impossible to fix. Mm-hmm. The guy comes back to me begging, apologizing, I'm sorry, I was, it was a bad day for me, beg, literally begging for mercy. 
because I could have kept this up forever. <laughs> okay, I get it. Uh-huh. Now the guy, the guy who wrote in the email, mentions that the FAA was taken to the uh, called on the carpet by Congress. Yeah. Uh, just before they started doing what they're doing, which is exactly the same thing. You want us to follow the rules? This, you know, exact to the to the letter. Okay, we're going to start shutting down the entire system until you tell us to stop. And that's what they're doing. It's just a bunch of inspectors doing what they do. Hey, if you want to go by the book, we can shut down. Let's start with American Airlines, AMR, one of the biggest corporations in the country. Hey, by the way, and if you don't knuckle under after we screw with them, we're moving to United. And then we're going to, you know, it's going to be yeah. one airline after another. They can they'll bring the, the whole thing to a standstill if the Congress idiots in Congress don't figure out what's going on. So you can imagine um, with my aviation background, I have an opinion on this. Yeah, I'm sure. So first of all, I think you're absolutely right about the inspectors. I mean, that's like TPS report time. You know, we, we can, we can, we can bring your, your company or your country to a grinding halt. Absolutely. But it's a, it's a little different in this case because FAA, um, the FAA does not actually, uh, go out and inspect every single piece of maintenance that is done on any aircraft that's registered under an N register the, the way, and, and, and this is, so this is two issues. One, it's about, um, the FAA and the government and them saying, screw you, we'll bring everything to a grinding halt. And the other part is about maintenance in aviation in general. So um, the way um, maintenance works and, and, you know, maintenance is everything. It's like 99% of all accidents is maintenance, you know, just because shitty maintenance uh, makes the airplane uh, break or things malfunction. You can get into bad situations. Um, but every, you know, so these planes are basically, uh, they're not composite. They're all sheet metal and rivets, right? So it's, it's the same type of stuff that you've been dealing with and they don't all have to fit within the, a millimeter and, you know, cause you know, basically if your wing is the right design and your engines uh, stay on, then, you know, the rest will be pretty much okay. But every piece of the plane, every, um, um, uh, Every element, every every bolt, every wire, um, even the airframe, everything has a um, a time to live, and it has an it has an expiration date, which is uh, set up by the manufacturer, who obviously you know uh, is liable for a number of reasons if they if they're lying about the uh, the life expectancy of all these different parts and pieces. And even if these pieces aren't worn or aren't showing wear and tear, you have um, regular intervals of maintenance inspections that are done by the maintenance company. And these, pe- these parts have to be replaced or certain checks have to be done. As an example, um, every two years, so every year I have an annual inspection on, on my aircraft. Every two years, um, all of the um, avionics have to be removed and tested. Even if they're working fine, they have to go out. You know, it's it, and of course it's a, it's an extra expense. Uh, the propeller has an X number of hours, and you know you have to send it away. And even my plane, you know, uh, it will cost me like eight thousand dollars to have the the prop uh, uh, maintained, and that's once maybe it depends on how much you fly, but it's all based on hours, etc. So um, the person doing the maintenance has to sign off on. The, and you have to be, you know, you have to be an FAA approved uh, maintenance company or uh, maintenance engineer. You have to sign off, and you signing off says, "I did this work, I performed it, I did the check," and uh, you are liable as an engineer if you're lying about that. So what happened here is the F is, 
and I, I we had we have to go back and find out how the story broke. But somehow someone figured out that the FAA knew that there was all kinds of shit going on with the maintenance records. So pieces were missing, you know, stuff that was submitted but not signed off on. And what it came down to is the. Um, Basically, wire ties, John. You know, wire ties um, for these big copper bundles that go through these through these MD these MD80s, which is what they chose to uh, to inspect. Um, it's not that the FAA has to inspect every single one of those, but the maintenance companies have to do it at regular intervals and then you know sign off and send it in. This was not happening, and so as as a pilot. You know, I'd be really angry. I would quit. I, I would rather go work at, at uh, Jack Wills than than fly an aircraft where any piece of maintenance was not done only to save costs because that's what it's about. And it's not a big deal, these wire ties. It really isn't. Although, because of this issue, I think there's been 20 or 25 instances on MD-80s where the nose gear would not retract. And, and you do not want that as a pilot. You don't want anything going wrong with your with your undercarriage. Um, so it's actually quite exemplary that the FAA and this, so this really adds proof to your, to the point you're making that the FAA would say, we're doing the spot check on every single one of these aircraft. That's a really big deal because they don't do that typically, but now they've taken, you know, they've taken their authority and made Uber authority and said, look, we don't just need to have all your records in and everything to be signed off on. We're doing spot checks on everybody. So it's kind of a double whammy. The air, the airlines need to be fucking taken out back and shot because they've been skimping on maintenance, which is a, a very, very serious offense. Any, well, any, I'm, I'm, in agree, I'm in agreement with on that because I know a lot of the maintenance is almost, not quite, but borderline outsourced yeah. to shops in Mexico, for example. Oh, and, and let me tell you, um, I have my, I will not get in an aircraft, any aircraft, that I, if I can help it, obviously, uh, but certainly in a, in a private aircraft, if I don't know who's been doing the maintenance. Because, you know, you get all, particularly, um, they talk about more than one pair of hands. So if you have more than one pair of hands working on um, on your aircraft, it could very easily be that one guy thought he had tightened the bolt and the other guy didn't. And, uh, you know, it's a confusion. And then it gets signed off on and, you know, you think you're good to go. And it's, it's a really, it's a life-threatening situation. And I think uh, uh, all airlines need to be severely penalized for any type of... Uh, uh, of lack of maintenance, um, so th- so they're kind of the, uh, the the golden boys and girls in all of this. I think they're getting they're getting yeah, off probably, real easy, real easy. Well, there's something screwy about the whole thing the way I see it. But but I think you're right. I, I think you're absolutely right. They're going to do it uh, to the you know um, they're going to figure out another issue. They'll they'll bring down another airline, or maybe they'll just keep going at American. You know who knows? But it's it, hey, it screwed up my my flying. Uh, time uh, in the past couple days yeah but it gave you a scoop yeah that's true because if i had i not been uh, unable to upgrade had i not been stuck in coach in that middle seat i wouldn't have known that email is dead <laughs> it's actually sometimes you have to you know when you have lemons you make yeah, something make some with lemons. lemonade baby um so. uh, coming into the country Want, to, uh, want an update? Yeah, you came into the country uh, for a couple of days. Yep. And you had you tell me you you didn't wouldn't want to tell me uh, while you were here because we wanted to do it on the show. Yep. What was your latest experience? Okay, so um, we had decided that I would ask for the TL for the team leader, which I had learned uh, was a way to get into the depth of the database quicker 
in order for because only the team leader has access to all of the notes that have put, been put next to my record saying the guy's okay. So I uh, and I was not going to do it at the first initial customs booth. I was going to do it uh, when you are ready to leave the airport. Now I walk up to the uh, I got off the plane real quick. I walk up to the uh, to the customs uh, border border customs uh, was it border <laughs> patrol agent. Uh, in the glass ca- in the glass case, and he's real yeah. swift. You know, he takes my um, he takes my landing card. He puts the uh, the one on it with a circle, which they all do. If they like, you know, one guy he can pass. He says, uh, "Bringing any fruits and vegetables in the country?" I said, "Nope." He says, "Okay," and then you know, he just swipes my passport, and then he gets that look, right? <laughs> the look that I'm now all too familiar with. And then I right. and then I uh, I don't know. I, I broke my own rule. I said. Yeah, I, I know you're seeing all kinds of stuff there, and I've been advised to ask for a TL, a team leader. He said, uh, sure. <laughs> so he didn't stamp my card. I had to go to, and I didn't know they had this. They have a room at, at SFO for secondary screening, and uh, it's a little back office, so I'd never been in here before. Um, I, th- I don't know if it's new or not. It was kind of hard to tell, but it's, it's kind of off to the side. And, you know, and, and there's all kinds of ethnic-looking folks who are, uh, <laughs> who are being semi-detained in there. And huh. so I hand off my passport and card, and I, and I go through the, the rap. You know, it's like, well, this has happened uh, about 10 times, and it happens every single time. And you know, the team leader should be able to get into the database. He said, okay, Mr. Curry. Have-. Everyone was really nice, by the way. No one was mean. Have a seat, Mr. Curry. And uh, it took probably about 25 minutes. And he said, okay, you're good to go. And then, you know, he hands me my passport and my, uh, and my landing card. And I know that I have to go through the, through the next, uh, to get out of the airport, I have to show all that stuff again. And there's, there's, John, there's like, there's an M on it. There's an I on it. There's a one on it. There's an L on it. There's like a B on it. There's like all so there's these codes. War and peace on the thing. I'm telling you. So I get my bag. I wheel it out. And, you know, the guy sees me coming. He sees this ticket, which is like filled with yellow marker. And he, he hands me the little blue clear plastic envelope, uh, which is the protocol. And I walk up and I see the team leader who has dealt with me before. He's like, Adam, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, he says, man, this should not be happening to you. This should not be happening. Come on over here. And uh, so he's there. With, so this is Agent Lund, I think his name is, and uh, Agent Phillips, uh, lovely young lady. She's already tapping away in the database. And uh, and she's and so and what I realized pretty quickly is that she doesn't know. I've never seen her before. She doesn't know about my issues. She knows me from MTV. So, you know, I'm like, this is going to be fun. And, uh, and we're chatting away and we're having, you know, lots of talks and like, I say, you know, we're, we're really, really, really sorry about this, you know, and, and they're going back and forth and they're discussing, put the, you know, yeah, check that box. He said, we should be able to get you out, but we just can't seem to get you out of this database. And so I start saying, well, tell me about this database. You know, how, how is it, uh, where's all the information coming from? And I just really want confirmation. But he says, well, it's really, it sits on top of all this other information from Department of Motor Vehicles and the IRS. So he's telling me about this, this, I think, illegal practice. Um, he says, so, and and it's really hard to uh, to um, uh, it's really hard to to get names out. He says, but you know, it's not a no fly list; it's a different type of list. I said, yeah, I'm quite aware. I uh, says, there's there's now about a million people who shouldn't be in this database and are being stopped, and we're having a real hard time st- uh, getting people off the list. And he said, you, you have, have we given you the documentation about submitting your information for removal? And I said, what one of those Freedom of Information Act things? He says, no, 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 no. And he has um. 
a booklet, kind of like a, a rectangle memo pad, you know, where you can uh, rip off sheets and it has kind of, you know, one end is gummied. Yeah. And uh, it's an instruction in English and in Spanish um, about how to, and I've heard of this before, but I guess now it's, it, it, I thought it was only for no fly list, but now it's also for this type of secondary screening to go to the uh, trip system on the Department of Homeland Security uh, website. So it's www.dhs.org.gov slash trip, T-R-I-P. And it is the, uh, hold on, I should look at what that stands for. It's like the travel restriction. Hold on. Let me find it. Uh, what did I say? DHS.gov slash trip. It's kind of a kind of scary is what it is here. Traveler Redress Inquiry Program. Great. <laughs> and someone's like, hey, cool. The acronym is TRIP. This is really awesome. Um, so you should look at that uh, web page. And, then, you know, I have to submit all kinds of information. And then they'll contact me for more information. And, oh, don't worry. Here's our <laughs> privacy policy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I, well, it's not going to work anyway. Do you think? I, do you think I, I should try it? Should I? Because it's not. Yeah. Well, you have to for the purposes of this show. Of this show. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, your name is Adam Curry, and the problem is there's another is Adam Curry you. out there. You're not in. The, you're not even in the database. Mm. Right. Well, I know. I know. I, I am. No, no. I am now in the database. I'm definitely yeah, in the database. Yeah, but it's just notes on you to proving that you're not the other Adam Curry. Yeah. You can go through this trip process, and I and I, I would encourage you to do it. But it's not going to get you off this list. But if, because if, you're not on the list. But for my for for you know, here's my question: For all this money that's going into the Department of Homeland Security, I think as a citizen, I have the right for them to go track this guy down. He sounds pretty scary. They clearly they want him. Uh, maybe you should sue the guy because it's, it's, you're the one that's suffering and you're the one that has to be detained a half an hour at a crack over and over Do you know what my again. time is worth, John? I mean, half hour of my time, that's just millions of dollars. You should sue, find the guy and sue him and then to make the government part of the lawsuit, get a lawyer that can figure something, some crazy lawsuit out here. This sounds like one to me. And uh, and take some action and then get him off the list by getting him whatever, have him resolved. Uh, either, you know, uh, taking sounds, the Gitmo or whatever they do to him. It sounds like that's going to cost me money and a lot of effort. And I don't really think I'm into that. I'm not a very litigious guy. Great John. for the show. Think of the show. The oh, show. that's right. The show. Think of the show. Here's one for the show. So I, uh, I left from JFK last night uh, on uh, Virgin. And at JFK, you can't actually check your bags uh, in at the check-in desk. You have to then take your bag to the uh, uh, TSA screening machine, uh, which right. is a little bit further up. So I, you know, I'm rolling my bag down. And I knew I had a huge delay, so I'm taking my time and I'm feeling pretty good. And uh, so I roll my bag over and there's this TSA agent. She's about 6'2". She's got, she's extremely milfy. Uh, I think, you know, she's pushing 30 and, and uh, late thirties, 40 and John stunning, a stunningly sexy, tall woman in, in uniform. And, uh, I'm like, and so, you know, she looks at me and I look at her and we're, you know, we're eye to eye. Right. And, and you have to understand when you're tall, like I am, you just don't get that a lot. I'm like, Oh, hi. And uh, she's like, Oh, hi. And, uh, hand off my bag. And I said, um, don't you just miss hugging people your height? 
She says, oh, <laughs> she says, oh, it's been such a long time. I said, come here, baby, give me one. So I hugged her, and we're like, we're doing this big embrace, and and all of a sudden she she realizes she's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> she gets all get flushed. the girl fired. Uh, but it was a nice hug. It was good. <laughs> you have to understand, yeah. you know, the only time that I had the best hug I ever, I think I told you that the best hug I ever had was with Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, really? Yeah, I was interviewing well, he's a him. a big dude. Yeah, he's seven foot whatever, and uh, and I was interviewing him for something, and I said, uh, Shaq, can I just ask you one last question, man? He said, yeah. I said, you know, you know I, I know you can feel my pain here. Would you mind if I just hugged you? It would be so nice to be hugged by someone bigger than me. And he says, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and he just engulfed, <laughs> oh, engulfed me. Yeah, it's nice, man. Hugs are good. You should hug someone this week, John. I hug enough. I'm in California. You have to hug all the time. Uh, that's true. I got. Here's something yep. that tie. Here's something that ties into what we're talking about um, about accuracy of um, parts. Remember, we had the conversation about the crystals, right? Hey, John and Adam, this is Scott from Virginia. I was listening to last Friday's No Agenda, where you were talking about the inaccuracy of system clocks, and John was saying how he couldn't believe that crystals, with all our technology today, couldn't keep more accurate time. Well, I'm a computer engineer, so maybe I can give you an idea of uh, why these crystals are so inaccurate. Can you hear this? Because it's kind of scratchy, this audio. Yeah, no, I can hear it. Go. Okay. As with any component that you manufacture, resistors, capacitors, there are certain tolerances associated with both the manufacturing process and with other environmental variables like temperature. So if you buy a crystal rated for 1 megahertz, that's 1 megahertz, maybe plus or minus 50 hertz. That's a pretty standard number. You can get lower tolerances than that or uh, tighter tolerances, and then you're only effect is on the end cost of the device. Now, whenever you put a crystal into a system, you hang off things like capacitors, resistors, and these things can affect the overall accuracy of your timing along with the temperature of the environment. So you can easily see why you would need to resync the clock every so often with a at the time server like the atomic clock or the National Institute of Science and Technology here in the United States. So I hope this shed some light on it for you. Uh, of the show and I hope to hear this on the air. So one of my summer jobs was selling um, components, elect uh, electronic components uh, in a in a shop that literally sold capacitors, resistors, etc. And, and I, was, I was listening to that comment, I realized, remember you could, I think you can still buy resistors probably only over the internet these days. Um, and the resistor would have a color code and would tell you how many, oh, what the ohm value was of, um, of that uh, resistor. And it also had either a, a no band, a silver band, or a gold band, which would also tell you the quality of the resistor and the, um, the, devi right. the deviation percentage, which I think was like, is it 5% for gold and 10% for silver or something? Well, I don't remember, but I do remember that, that, that was, there was this cool little code. Yeah. And then there was something beyond that called mil spec. Well, oh, I don't know about that. What's mil spec? Oh, uh, mil spec well, is a mil military spe specification. Yeah, it was always the tightest, right. supposedly. Orange book mil spec. So, uh, so there's your well, answer, man. It's it's cheap, uh, cheap no, shit. It's, that, it's actually the, there's no question about it. That's exactly what the problem is. But which reminds now that gives me two anecdotes. Nice. The top. Okay. That, now we know how the show works. It just triggers old. Well, when I was a kid, 
So uh, I got I, I have this uh, a couple of Kodak cameras. One's a 603. It's a dual lens camera that has this unbelievable mic. And you can go to uh, Dvorak Uncensored, look up the Dvorak Uncensored videos on YouTube, and you'll find one on there that says, and the title of it is Producer Questions Quality of Microphone. That's something like that. And it's where I had Annalisa Savage in the uh, Cranky Geek set, and I was shooting her with this little camera, which has what sounds like a studio mic in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's actually, I have a 700 series camera that has a similar mic, but not quite as good as this one. If I want to go out and shoot somebody and I want to get the sound perfect, I, I'll bring this black six megapixel camera and make a movie with it. Anyway, so you, you can listen to this for yourself and hear it. You go, oh my God, it's unbelievable. So I figured, and they have a, the camera's kind of weird. It has all kinds of little etchings and things. And I figured they had some special trick that they had done to make the sound so good. And so I called Kodak up to ask him about this microphone. And the company was literally baffled by my my, my, by my queries. Is like, well, what is that? And then I so I did some more research, and an audio engineer friend of mine told me that essentially what's going on with these digital little cameras, these pocket cameras, these cheap cameras, is that uh, these mics are like a buck fifty uncalibrated mic. He says it would probably cost a hundred dollars. Add a hundred dollars to the cost of the camera to calibrate these mics so they would really be sounding good because there are good mics out there, mm -hmm. but. The what he told me was essentially I got lucky, huh. and uh, so I'm, that camera is never going to leave my sight because it's like um, it's astonishing what the sound sounds like. I, I will now, add I will add one thing to that. Did you record her in the Cranky Geek Studio? Yes, but I've done it elsewhere too. The Cranky Geek Studio is nice and sound yeah, dead, exactly, so that exactly. that would helped. It was a studio. I'm, I'm trying. I'm showing that the mic sounds like a studio mic in a studio. I don't think it was completely out of order. Well, why don't you use that mic for this show, man? Because you sound like crap. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get a compressor on it. All so right. now that which brings me to the other story. <clears throat> And this is another example when I was talking about how these inspectors, you know, you know, uh, how there's no such thing as anything coming to spec. Everything is a little fluctuates just a little bit, which is part of, I guess, is our theme today. So I'm working at Union Oil uh, during the era. Uh, I was a chemist uh, during the era. Where the <laughs> Better living through chemistry, John. I'm a believer. Yeah. Well, you know, so anyway, they had they they. There was a period in American gasoline history where we had, where they've decided that lead had to get out of the gasoline right. because it turned out that, you know, to, to make a, a, a gallon of uh, ethyl, which was the high octane gasoline, typically running almost close to 100 octane, um, they had to put about four grams of tetraethyl lead into the gasoline so it wouldn't have knock. And uh, three grams of lead came out the pipe as elemental lead. So most of the road, anyone who, anyone who lived near a road or anything was, I mean, the country was being the world, poisoned, fact, basically. Poisoned by lead, elemental lead that would form salts and it would react with the environment one way or shape before getting to the food supply and everything else. But it's also by crap for your engine. Didn't make your engine run well. Well, what it did is it, it, it lubricated the rings. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a side, as the real reason for it was for the octane to get a smoother, a better right. performing gasoline because octane, higher octane means the gas explodes with a more controlled explosion. And the rings, though, as a, as a side effect, the the lead in because it would melt uh, as it as it blew off, um, it would lubricate the ring so the car wouldn't, you know, 
you wouldn't wear out. Mm. So they determined at Union Oil that they, that it, all you really needed was point was a half a gram of lead as opposed to three or four grams to keep the rings lubricated yeah. until they could re change the way engines were designed. And, um, and so there was a spec that was put out because the oil industry didn't want to have to deal with all these people moaning or the, you know, the public moaning about their cars falling apart because there's no light in the gas. Viscosity breakdown. <clears throat> so they had they had this tolerance. They, they they decided to put into play a law that says you, the gasoline can have no more than 0.5 uh, grams of lead in a gallon. Now, which was fine, and so they were making this gasoline. But because of the 0.5, it was 0.5. And then about two or three years later, some idiot changed the spec to 0.50. Oh, no. Now, so anybody who knows anything, and apparently, you know, again, we're dealing with a public that hasn't got a clue uh, and, a con you know, and a state senate and whatever. 0.50 for anyone out there who doesn't get the, what the importance of the difference. What's the difference between 0.5 and 0.50? I can just see the argument. Well, the difference was is that with 0.5, we could make the gasoline at Union Oil 0.54, and it's in spec, technically. Uh, and and most of the gasoline came in at 0 0.50, 0 0.51, 0 0.5, and it could be 0.49, that's in spec too. But it was mostly a little bit over because the, 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 the determination was that you needed at least a half a gram. But if you change the spec to 0 0.50, you, you're off spec at 0.51 right. and 0.52. So everything had to be under to make spec because you're not going to hit 0 0.50 rarely. So all the gasoline started going out of 0 0.47, 0 0.46, so the, which started to affect the valves. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So the next thing you know, you know, people are having these issues with engines and the rest of it. And then, of course, eventually the the car makers put in better, you know. And, and also, and they came up with synthetic uh, lubricants, right? That are added uh, added to the fuel. Well, no, it's really the, the <laughs> engines themselves. Really? I mean, there's stuff in the gas. That's for sure. That's right. pretty. Interesting, so, is there now no lead in the gas, or are they still at some some? No, no. Spec? There's no lead. There's no lead. zero lead in gas zero. for the last I don't know twenty years or fifteen years or however long it's been. Hmm. But uh, no, there's no lead in the gas at all. And then the, the engines are just better. I mean, they they've just changed the way you know they use. I mean, there was a thing back in the day. I've never heard the term sense, but they said, well, the then the real problem was valve seating. By the way, more so than the rings. The valve seats, what would happen if you didn't have lead, the, the, the valve would go and hit the head, and then because there was no lubrication, yeah, it would wear lead, down. It would wear down. It would, well, it would, it would weld itself to the head ah, because okay. it was hot, right? Hot, yeah. So it, it would pull off a little piece of metal and just choo -choo -choo, and eventually just drive itself right into the engine. So they had these things called, so they had to have put in, so what would change is they put in these new expensive valve seats into the engines that were not susceptible to this problem, and then they used more expensive. The, the valve formulation of the metal in the valve was, you know, it was such that you didn't, it wasn't going to do this. And that's is, really what changed. What is your, um, what is your vet run on? That That's unleaded? Was that unleaded days? Uh, it's a 75. So I believe it's still a lead, it's still, still was lead, leaded lead, gas. Yeah. Hey man, can I drive it? Does it work? Does it work? Does it start? Does it drive? Uh, I, yeah, I'll let you drive it someday. <laughs> Pretty please, John. Can I drive you a vet? 
<laughs> I want to drive your vet, baby. I got to get it. The back part, you know, the problem with this vet is listen, the, the, a bunch of the stuff is falling off of it. You know, <laughs> kind of like your Lexus, you, know, you mean. <laughs> my Lexus is fine. So the, uh, <clears throat> anyway, the vet has a, uh, there's a back, in the 75, there's this back thing that's made out of some sort of weird plastic, and it just essentially degrades in the air oh, and right. just falls, yeah. starts falling off in chunks. What, uh, so what to, color is it? Because is they only made, right, I was going to say, they only made solid colors or one with a stripe, I think. You had white, you had yellow. Remember they had that one in yellow, which was extremely ugly. Yeah. Uh, red. It's red. It's yeah. red. Oh, beautiful. Actually, around 70, I think at the 79 vet, which had a real interesting roof line, uh, I believe had they came out with one in baby blue, which is, if you ever see one, they're just absolutely the prettiest thing you've ever seen on yeah. the road. Patricia had, anyway. a, uh, Patricia had a C5 in, uh, in Belgium. Which and, and she looked good in that Corvette, man. But you know, by then, of course, the Corvette was completely made of, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, fiberglass. Fiberglass, yeah. And... <laughs> So she was in the garage and she was going to, uh, and she pulled into the garage. So she pulled in the garage. She had the top down and the, uh, garage door opener caught fire above her head. You know, just some kind of short circuit. So she freaked out and, and she had already, she had already, you know, the, um, stopped the car and it already had the door open. And she sees this fire. She's like, crap, it's above my head. The roof is, is down. So she starts the car. She slams it in reverse to get out of the garage with the door still open, which plows into the boiler. <laughs> so the door, of course, like snaps off into 18 million pieces because it's uh, fiberglass. The boiler ruptures. <laughs> have a complete flood. Everything destroyed. And the car, it was just amazing to see how that car just, you know, just disintegrated before your very eyes, that door. Jeez. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> oh, a little sideline. Little sideline there. It was. It was sure funny, that. man. It was a funny occurrence. I'm sure Patricia appreciates you telling that story in public. Yeah. So, she does not. Anyway, so that's the kind of the thing about. It. So, so the point is, is that you know some knowledge. I mean, changing things, you know, minor because somebody's a nitpicker or whatever. Well, why are you know? Let's make it point five zero. This kind of thing is again part of the uh, kind of a problem we have with with you know as we as we're divorcing ourselves as a society from manufacturing and actually you know people kids you know working in in on the assembly line or or just anything where you're actually having to do more than just sit and r ring up sales at a retail store yeah. you know chinese goods uh with no really no experience in, of, of any sort uh, it starts to sneak in this kind of naivete and, and stupidity starts to sneak into the legislatures and the next thing you know we have have a lot of stupidity that that will just permeate all levels of society and we have to deal with this essentially a bunch of we're going to have a bunch of people that don't understand what going by the book means and why it's not necessarily a good thing in some instances it is good to go by the book though you have yeah, to I know you're gonna you have to your... you have to the book is written to be flexible <laughs> yeah <clears throat> but still when it comes to aviation, I ain't that flexible. Yeah, I know you keep harping on it, but I'm sure there's some, there's a, uh, I'm sure your plane is off spec. Uh, I bet you if I, you know, I bet we you do, went not. together with some really, I'll bet you you could find all kinds of things to red tag I, on that. I'll, I'll, I'll bet you that my, uh, that the wing commander would be severely pissed off if he heard you say that. 
I'll bet you that he knows that there's there's got to be something off spec, whether it's the distance from one door to the other, or the the way the seat is. Uh, well, or but, the, but that's but that's not a regulatory yeah, issue. There's, yeah, there's probably everywhere you look, there's going to be something wrong <laughs> if you're going to go by really go by the specs. So the thing is like you know blueprinted exactly the way it's it supposed does, to no, be. No, no, but it doesn't back. have to be blueprinted. But the the checks the 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 regular inspections have to be done. That's different. That's different. I know they have to be done, but I'll bet you there's a little tolerance in there. You're claiming there's zero tolerance for anything. No, because the tolerant the, the tolerance level. So if you have a, a bolt that uh, is known to last, you know, one thousand hours, uh, it will have to be replaced at five hundred hours. So the, the tolerance, you know, the 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 time between overhaul of components is a much shorter time than the, than the expected uh, lifetime of these components. I mean, that's that's not 5%. You know, you just can't cut it that close in aviation because of deviation like that. Well, that's what I'm trying to tell you. So the 1,000-hour thing is bogus, essentially, if you have to pull the bolt at 500. No, that, it's two separate issues. One is, here's how long this bolt will last, and the other one is, here's how you're guaranteed not to die because you'll put a new bolt in that'll be fine for another 500 hours. That's different. Yeah, I'm understanding what you're saying. But I'm just saying, obviously, there's some fear, because if the bolt is really good for 1,000 hours... Really good, guaranteed. If the, let's say, that yeah, the, the, of course, the, there's fear, John. There's fear of death. That's obvious. Exactly. But the point I'm making here is, if that bolt supposedly two spec is good to a thousand hours, you shouldn't have to worry at all until it gets to a thousand hours. Why are you worried? Because you know these things aren't to spec. Exactly. So that's the more egregious to not even perform checks which are probably well within limits well within time limits but to not do them that's just it's not, not it's, telling you not to do them i'm just telling you that your plane's not up to spec all right you know what when you come over here i'm putting your ass in the delta share we're flying in that non up to spec aircraft okay if the weather's clear so <laughs> We don't we don't need no stinking weather. We got instruments, which are also up to spec. Well, let's hope. So anyway, we went out to dinner while you were out here. Yeah, and and I realized um, in hindsight, I don't think it's a good idea for us to do a proper uh, dinner on the day that I come in. No, you crapped out right in the middle of it. I it did. was unbelievable. I did. You, like, you could see it, right? Yeah, you could, you could I'm see me. I'm like a happy-go-lucky guy. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and then you would just hit the wall. I did. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I apologize. I was not a great table mate for uh, half of the uh, half of the dinner. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> and I, I, my calculation, it was 4 o'clock in the morning, London time, when that happened to you. Yeah, and we were eating caviar. Well, we were eating caviar early. You had to hit the wall after that. Yeah. So I was a little disappointed with the restaurant. Really? I've eaten there a million times. I like the place. It's La, Fo- La well, Folie. We have to tell people what yeah, it was. Yeah, it's one of my favorite restaurants. It's a good restaurant in San Francisco. But, you know, they got a Michelin star, received a Michelin star. And I think that they're trying a little too – I mean, it, it seemed to me, because I've, I've eaten there forever, that they're trying a little too hard to be fancy. That's and a I good point. You, That's a good point. I, I, I agree with you there. And which is, again, you know, like I don't need – I want to eat some good food. I want to have good, well-prepared food. I don't want some weird experimentation. And there was one, there were two or three things in there that were very disappointing. One was this, the one, the dish I had, which was the crab, 
whatever the heck it was. It was a crab appetizer that was with that a, was gra- with grapefruit. With grapefruit, right? It had grapefruit as the base, so the grapefruit puree, which does not, by the way, go with crab. And <clears throat> there was these little pineapple things. So you essentially had a uh, deep fat fried in some funny way with a bunch of other crap on there that was <laughs> unnecessary. The whole thing didn't work at all. Can I just be? Can I respectfully disagree that uh, I've had several dishes that combined crab and grapefruit? Well, that's a possibility that it could work if the grapefruit was sweet, but this was not only bitter and sour, but it didn't work. And I even thinking about it, it was sweet. I wouldn't recommend it uh, as a combination. Well, but let's back up because we started with an ounce of caviar, which which I thought was spectacular. The caviar was good, but again, they had some, you know, botched presentation. Essentially, what we had was a, a caviar was on a, a really interesting Pota- spinach potato, blini, and that was okay. Uh, t- potato blini, and, yeah. And there was a, it had spinach and potato, but then they had a sour cream on top of that, and then the caviar doused on top of that. And and that was all fine, but what was, what was underneath the blini was like baffling. What was the point of putting a combination of small chunks of asparagus, asparagus and yeah. little cubes of some fish or other? Well, the, pro- the problem with that presentation was, because uh, they gave us mother-of-pearl spoons to eat it with, you you couldn't really get the asparagus onto the spoon because you know the the thickness of the spoon was really is really meant for scooping caviar so you couldn't actually get anything off your plate without involving your fingers which i felt was kind of wrong well you could use a real fork but the point is is that what was the or the what was the point of these additions to what should be a kind of a simple Dish. I mean, they already had the, the 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 swirls of some chive green thing around to get you know make. It was a very pretty dish, and, when it, and was it tasted good. I like that swirly stuff. That was good. It tasted good. Yeah, no, it was good. I wasn't complaining about that. But what I was complaining about was the unnecessary weird crap that was put underneath the blini. <laughs> It's it, just it to be nice. able to say, put it on the menu. Oh, we have nice little pieces of asparagus we have hidden for you under the potato blini. So anyway, so I was disappointed in that. The um, and it, I, mean, I was disappointed in that part of it. I did like the caviar, and then the the, the crab thing was just completely out of control. It was. Wasn't what what very did I good. have for my uh, entree? Yeah. For my- yeah. What did you have? I had the crusted uh, tenderloin. You had like a lamb or a no, pork, pork or no. beef or some damn thing. I didn't. I, I didn't. It, it, by that well, point, I yeah, had an hors d'oeuvre before it, it, that, though. But, I, I had something else. By then, you were going. By the time the entree came yeah. out, it was some. What was the hors d'oeuvre? You were shot by then. Yeah, but what was the hors d'oeuvre? The hors d'oeuvre, in my case, was the was the was, was the, the crab. Uh, the crab, right? But crab. What, I had, had something, something different. Else. I don't oh, know. I can is, go look is, it up. This is not it. good. <laughs> this is not good that I already forgot what I had to eat. Yeah, no, that's actually a bad sign. Um, here, let me go look it up because the menu is actually online. Mm. Um, I also felt a little bit in the um, in the service and the way the chef was kind of walking around in and out pontificating. I also felt that was a little unnecessary. It felt like you know, look, uh, just get the food on the table and just move it along. I, I didn't don't. mind the the, the the chef coming in and out, and I didn't know. That it was nice that he came over to our table and said hi, and you know that was. I thought the service was stunning. It was right on the money. They you never they never missed a beat. Uh, I was not. It was timely, no but it felt. Uh, I don't know. It felt a little. I don't know. I, I was uh, not in my right mind. I was not. I was not sane. No, I think the service was was uh, fantastic. Actually, atmosphere fantastic. Liked it a lot. Atmosphere was really good. 
And the wine, well, um, just, I, I couldn't appreciate the wine as, I, as much as I usually do. It was good. Well, uh, that's well, that brings up another problem, which is the wine. Yeah. So I order a bottle of wine. And I've never had this happen before. Normally, you know, you, I like to cherry pick. You find some good wine, and then the guys can't find it, or they're out of it, or you know, which is like inexcusable for a starred restaurant to be out of wine. Was, yeah, with a Michelin star. List. Excuse me. So, so we go there, and the we I should report them, John. They should they should be stripped of their star <laughs> for that. Damn it! No, I don't. It, no, I think all these ones, these starred restaurants that that they're giving it to the U.S places or should be stripped. I think there's only maybe, I was looking at the list. <clears throat> there's a ton like in, let's see, look at this. There's like so many restaurants with stars in California alone. It's ridiculous. Hmm. I mean, it's ludicrous. These are not restaurants that compare to anything in France. I mean, La Folie is a good restaurant, but it's, I don't think it would have a star if it was in France. And uh, I don't think that the French Laundry should have three stars. I think maybe two. Because I think there's a rude operation. They won't take reservations except once a month for a couple hours a day. They won't answer the phone. I mean, there's all kinds of issues that is not doesn't warrant, that keeps it from getting three stars. Right. Arrogance. Well, yeah, they're, they're totally. So anyway, I can't. Oh, find John, them. of course I know what we had. We both had the same thing, dude. Frog's legs. No. Oh yeah, no, we had the fro the frog's legs were good. Then what did I have That's before we that? Oh, I had the goat cheese and fourmet d'Ambert terrine. I had the goat. That's a goat cheese salad. Right. That which, was much better than mine. Which was really good. And then we had the frog's legs, which we both thought were rather tiny. They were extremely small. Uh, and they yeah. where were they but from? They were, they, were from, they were from Florida, Tampa? What did he say? Yeah, Florida. Florida. Florida yeah. frogs. <laughs> All right, back to the wine, because I interrupted you on that. Um, yeah, so anyway, I ordered a... Uh, here we go. And then I, I had the I, I had the quail. That's what I had. I didn't... I, I was, okay, here, I, was I found the menu. The... It's online. I, I'm uh, looking at it. I'm looking at it. Oh, see, I couldn't. I was having trouble. Yeah, it was the frog legs, the goat tatan, which was good. That was actually pretty good. They, they, mine was the Dungeness crab salad Napoleon on crispy pineapple chips, grapefruit, and pomegranate <laughs> jelly. It was horrible. horrible. Yeah. And then. Um, Anyway, I just, I, I, I like, you know, the guy who's the chef, Roland Passant, he is a, uh, or Passo, I guess, he's a uh, really great guy, and, and, and I like the restaurant, but I was just so disappointed, and it just seemed to me that they were over trying too hard. In the old day, olden days, when Lutece was a, was a big shot place to go to in New York City, it was unique in the fact that they really didn't go into anything that was complicated. It was all really well done and simple. It was always considered the best restaurant in Manhattan. So anyway, so wine. here's my <clears throat> the wall of the wine. So I ordered a bottle of a of a wine. It was a 2003 uh, Chateau Ho Marbuzet, <clears throat> and he says, "Would you like the Marbu? The, would you like the wine decanted?" And I says, "It's not that old. I don't really, and I don't like." Generally speaking, half of these wines don't need to be decanted. It's pretentious. Just let it breathe. He says, "Well, it's a two He says, "Well, it's a two thousand. I said, no, it's a no, 2003. 2003. Yeah. So he goes back and he says, oh, I got the wrong wine. I got the Marbuze, Chateau Marbuze, which is a different winery. And then he goes off to get the other one, which is what I wanted to check out. So um, 
comes back. He says he's digging all over. He's got a bunch of stuff. He can't find it. <laughs> so, which I thought was weird. Which is literally what he said. I, I can't find it. <laughs> Monsieur. What he said. And Monsieur. So, so we got the other one, the 2000 Marbuse, which I haven't had. So I figured, well, you know, I, it's not bad. And it was actually cheaper. And um, so we had that. And it was fine. It was good wine, but it wasn't what I wanted. Right. So that was kind of problem and of course we had anyway. a, a uh what do we have a, a white bordeaux with the uh oh the yeah the chateau. actually i was surprised how good that, that was, was good. chateau bonnet that was good i like that uh, a just a everyday white bordeaux anyway so i'm looking at so i got kind of into looking at all these michelin stars that the michelin guy people are throwing out like there's no tomorrow now just explain a michelin I, star michelin is essentially like uh, the ultimate zagat guide i guess of france and it it's, it's just, the original. It's the original restaurant. This began almost a hundred years ago. Michelin decided that they should do some guides. Michelin, by the way, is a to, is a uh, tire manufacturer. We we I think most Americans have I had think, Michelin's. I, I think most Americans don't know. I think oh, they're no, all thinking they Pirellis. No, I think you're wrong because I mean Costco sells Michelin tires. So okay, Americans but, all but know. so let me just bridge the gap between tires and restaurants because I don't think most people know that. Right. That's true. Go ahead. Now, the reason for the guides originally was to sell tires. <laughs> it was you. like you you brought this. It was a guide that showed you all these places you could travel on your in your car so service. you could wear out your tires. Yep. So over the years, they became like the experts, and they started in France, of course. And in fact, the red guide, for, I always tell people who have never been to France, is if you don't have a red guide, Michelin red guide in France, when you're traveling around, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Because it's really the way to go. I mean, they, they list all the little towns, and they have all the little hotels, and what they charge, and every restaurant in the country. It's unbelievable. And so they came up with a system some years ago to star, and there's only three stars is the most you can get. So when people talk, why is a four-star Michelin place? You know, they, you hear that once in a while. It's like, no. No, I don't think three so. Three stars is the <clears throat> most you can get, and they only have a very few. In fact, I have the list here of the ones that have Europe. three stars? In, in Paris, for example, there is only nine out of 26 in the entire country of France, nine three-star restaurants. 15, in Paris, there's 15 two-stars and 38 one-stars. Now, when you consider the fact that we damn near have that, we don't have as many one-stars in the United States, but we have already too many because there's, they're supposed to be the most strict. And if you've been to these restaurants in France, it's one of the, there's, it's more than just the food. There's a the food, there's the atmosphere, yeah. there's the service. There's John, the this is my point. Exactly. I believe with the wine snafu and the fricking asparagus under the uh, caviar blini, uh, I think we, they, we should write them up. <laughs> well, I would, except for the fact that the list of one-star restaurants in San Francisco, and let me just go over a couple of them here, uh, is ridiculously long, and they're probably not the worst offender. I mean, there's it's just a ludicrous list of restaurants with one-star that if you were in France, these are just country places you'd find all over the place, and some of them are literally bistros that haven't changed their menu in years, like Bistro Gentil in Yountville. And the other thing that's weird is that if you look at the list 
the, the California, Northern California, San Francisco list, it's it's obviously the guy who's doing it or the team that's doing it, they obviously live in Healdsburg or Yountville or St. Helena or someplace in the Napa Valley because there's way too many restaurants that are in the wine country, which is, you know, I mean, how many restaurants can a population of five support <laughs> and there's hardly anything on the peninsula of San Jose South. Uh, there's nothing, you know, there's one place in Los Gatos, but there's like, for example, I don't want to bore people with this, but there seems to be some interest, but let well, me just complain really quickly. Before you, before this you, is the, the, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. Keep complaining. Well, the Michelin, I'm going to go run over these names of these just to show you. Uh, there's the one three-star restaurant, which is in Yountville, which is the, F- the French Laundry, which to me, in, if it was in France, it would maybe be three. I doubt it probably more likely to be two, uh, mainly because of some of their practices. Uh, then he goes to the two-star restaurants, and then they have this all screwed up because these are hardly the best restaurants in town. Uh, and they leave out, for example, the top restaurant in San Francisco is known to be, the, the two top places actually, uh, are Gary Danko's, and the probably the dining room at the Ritz-Carlton right now. Those are the, probably the best places. If you want to get a good meal in San Francisco, go to Gary Danko's or go to the Ritz-Carlton's dining room right now. Florida Lee, I would put up there close to those two. Yeah. But those are the two places. Neither one of those got two stars. The two-star places instead gave Aqua, which is the noisiest Aqua. restaurant in San Francisco. I hate Aqua. You hate Aqua? Yes. Oh, no, no, I don't like it at all. There's a number of people that will literally say that when you mention it. They yeah. hate Aqua. And, if, and I have a, a, a guy who used to work with me, uh, used to work there as a sous chef. And he says if the chef's not around, the food just doesn't, isn't worth dealing with. It's just shit, yeah. So is it possible, so is, words, is, they're, is they're, thinkable, they're, John, that much like the International Olympic Committee, obviously there's a great marketing benefit to having one, two, or three stars. Uh, just like it's great to have the Olympics in your country. Um, there's been great scandal with uh, with how countries are chosen, with payoffs and bribes. Is it thinkable that the team that uh, awards these stars maybe has just fallen prey to bribery, corruption, corruption? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I I I think it's too complicated to to do that. I think they're just incompetent, and I think that's a big difference. And I think incompetency is uh, partially uh, to blame here. But let's go over the two-star restaurants. Aqua, nobody thinks it's a two-star restaurant. In fact, if it was me, I wouldn't give it a star. Actually, here's my rating. If I was going to give stars out, I'd give two stars to the French Laundry, and I'd give one star to Gary Danko, uh, one star to uh, uh, Fleur de Lis, uh, a tentative star to the Ritz-Carlton because it's a hotel thing and it fluctuates a little bit. And then probably one star and maybe two just because of its importance to Chez Panisse. That's it. Hey, I brainstorm. wouldn't give another star out. Brainstorm. Brain- sh- don't say that. Don't say that. Brainstorm. I mean, look, we're well-known guys. You're very knowledgeable in this area. Uh, I'm the voice of uh, the common man when it comes to the dinners we enjoy together. Why don't we just start our own rating, get some free food out of the business, dude? This is fucking perfect. This is a great idea. So don't say you won't give out any more star. We have, well, we have to have something uh, different than a star. We have to have a different rating system. 
Yeah, well, obviously. But anyway, the point is now, <laughs> by the way, Quince, which is on the list as one star, is actually a really good place. Haven't we eaten there? Haven't I eaten there with, with you? Quince? I don't think so. No. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. You don't want to do a rating uh, system with me? You, you, you're not well, picking yeah, up on that? Well, yeah, we could do a rating because it's, it's so easy. I just named the five places. That's it for now. Yeah, I'm sure there's other places. Anyway, so th- let me go back over this. Two stars. Aqua, no. Shea TJ. I've not been there. It's a new place. It used to be one star. Now they moved it up. And I, if you go to Yelp, all people do is complain about it being listed at all. Hmm. Cyrus, which I also haven't been to, which is up in Healdsburg, uh, is probably – everybody thinks it's a great place, and I'm going to give them some slack. That's another two-star place. But it's, again, you know, up in Healdsburg – Healdsburg is a long way from here, uh, from San Francisco. It's like an hour plus to get there. Uh, Man Race in Los Gatos, which is about two hours from San Francisco. That's one of the few places that's actually rated south of San Francisco. The Meadowwood in St. Helena, another place up in the wine country, a two-star restaurant. Hour minimum to get there. Michael Minna which is a restaurant that opened recently in the uh, St. Francis, which I've gone to three times, does not warrant a star. I, the first time I went there, I thought it was one of the most interesting meals I've ever had. It was outstanding. The second time I went there, because I brought some other people to show it off, it wasn't as good. It was falling off a little bit. And this is the same group that or, that started the Aqua, by the way, so it's kind of an interesting situation. The third time I went there, the meal was just so-so, and I got I got baited and switched on the wine. Oh my god! Another another outfit we have to report. <laughs> so what happened with the wine was I cherry picked, which is I I think I hit two in a row actually, where the wine that was on the listed on the list wasn't there. They just didn't have it. It was they're sold out. Hmm. Okay, fine. So that the, the guy comes over after the second time this happened, he said and he says, you know what we can do for the same price which was a reasonable price. We can offer you this wine, which was a big upgrade. And, and you know, and they would have t- eaten the, whatever the 30 bucks was. Mm. Cause I think the difference was 30 or $40 for a bottle. And so I said, okay, we can do that. So he goes back. And the next thing, you know, I see him, the mate guy and the mater D getting into some discussion. The guy comes back. He says, well, you know what? We decided, <laughs> they decided now, we decided that this wine, this other wine is probably even a better choice than the one that we've offered you for the, for the, you know, as a substitute. Yeah, it was a better choice and it saved them 40 Cheaper. bucks because, you know, they, so I just thought, I just thought that was the worst performance I've yeah, ever that's seen. Scummy. Unbelievable. Yeah. I had an experience, not to go. They're off our list. Experience. They're off the list, John. I'm, I'm keeping track now. <laughs> so there was this restaurant, I, this was, was in the St. Regis. The worst case scenario was the following. I'm in New York, and there's a restaurant, I can't remember the name of it, but it was very famous. It was in the St. Regis, and uh, they closed. And oh, I, it's, later, um, I've, I've stayed at the St. Regis a lot. Uh, well, you know that big fancy place downstairs. downstairs? Yeah, downstairs, yep, absolutely. So I go in there, and, you know, the place is really expensive. And so I order a, a bottle of uh, Chateau, or, or, or Joseph Drewhan's Oregon Pinot, uh, and it's a newer release called Lorraine. And if you looked on the wine list, there was like, it would said, Joseph Drewhan Lorraine, which is a specific vineyard that they grow as high-end Pinot Noir at. And there was no other Joseph Drewhan Oregon wines on the list, just this. The guy comes out with the bottle, and he shows it to me. It's not 
the wine. It's just the plain old Joseph Drew Henpino, which isn't even on the list. Oh, an outrage. And so I say, no, that's not it. <laughs> the one I is says Lorraine on the label. And curiously, I just had had the wine like a couple of weeks before, and I know exactly where the where the Lorraine designator was. The guy comes back with the same bottle without the Lorraine, and he says, no, no, this is it. This is the only wine they make. <laughs> Put my finger on the bottle and point right to the spot where Loren is supposed to be set, you know, where the vineyard name is. I said, right here, it says Loren on the real wine. Not this piece the of guy crap you're pawning off on me. And so the guy goes back a third time, and then he comes out with the right bottle. <laughs> so I'm thinking, mm. this is unbelievable. Suspicious. So, so I ran into the, the, the guy who was the hotel manager once at a wine tasting, and I was sitting next to him by coincidence. And uh, I told him the story. You know, I was so annoyed by it. And by the way, there was other incidents in the same dinner. And he says, oh, oh yeah, I know who that was. And he just, he, apparently it was just some, some <laughs> corrupt practice dork. that was going on at this place. Oh, no. And he also mentioned to me that that restaurant was losing something like a million dollars a month. Oh, wow. It was a, it was How's a that possible? Leader, How's that possible? Uh, not at those prices, but, well, it was possible because obviously they're stealing from them. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so that's, I could go on. We could talk about the Michelin stuff more later, but I just found that the whole list with all these places up in the wine country are just ridiculous. And the, the whole thing is, and I don't know. To be continued. Yeah, to be continued. And then they, they have this other thing where all these cheaper meals, and there's again, you know, Petaluma, St. Helena, Napa, Napa, uh, San Anselmo, Windsor, Santa Rosa. I mean, why aren't they? Where's the San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley? I mean, the, the whole peninsula, 231 Ellsworth and, and uh, San Mateo is never even mentioned. And one of the greatest restaurants in the Bay Area is the Woodside or, or, the, or the Village Tavern or Village Pub, I'm sorry. The Village Pub in Woodside, not mentioned. In the, and, they're, and it's better than half the places listed here as one star. But they obviously, the, the inspectors live up in the wine country. It goes too far to drive down to Woodside, which is, you know, I don't know. It's annoying. The only place I know in Woodside is Bucks. <laughs> they probably give them a star. <laughs> oh, by the way, so, so when the when the when the uh, list first came out in the Bay Area, there's everybody's fussing, you know, especially all the French guys because they got screwed. And there's a couple of little places that aren't even restaurants, essentially getting a star. And the Michelin guys came up with the argument that, well, you know, for its type. You know, what your restaurant is not what it, you know, doesn't get a start because for its type. Oh, this classification type, now. Hmm. That's a crock of crap. Where's the one-star taco truck? <laughs> we could be it. Seriously, where's the one-star taco truck if it's for your type? And it's type. And yeah, it's well, class. the restaurant's for the type. All right, you're boring it's, me now, John. Okay, you go, You take it on from here. No, I don't, I don't know. I, I like solving the world. You're solving something else. Yeah, my, my need to have a decent meal. <laughs> Did you have any notes? Did you write anything down? Anything we can decode, decipher? Yeah, so I watched the Miss USA thing last night. Oh, crap. I missed that. Yeah, well, I've never seen it. I caught it during the bikini 15 winners, you know, the, the 15 girls that would do the bikini thing. And it was like, it was like watching, uh, it was like, Remember Robert Palmer and he had those women Addicted that all to love. Looked, yep, absolutely. They all looked exactly the same. It was mm -hmm. like look they all had the exact same body. 
it was like is this weird. the Trump uh, sponsored one or is that Miss Universe? Yes. No, this is no, a, a, yeah, same thing. Miss USA is part of Miss Universe. Mm. So they had uh, there was a cookie cutter group. They're all tall, between you know, typically five eight to five ten. They nice. all had teeth that were bleached mm-hmm. to in such an extreme that it looked like if they put any more on the teeth would just just fall apart okay. from you know whatever this crap it's hot. is. Yeah, that's hot. I like that. <laughs> what else? Anyway, the so uh, so, so what's, I, so so what's I your point? Is there something wrong here? I don't understand. Yeah, there's the, a couple the wrong things, and here's what's wrong. For one thing, they picked the wrong girl. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Miss Oklahoma should have won the whole thing. She was the only one that had. What was her she's talent? The only one that didn't look like a cookie cutter. And she actually had kind of a, she was a blonde. She's a cute Danica Patrick look. So she had a more modern look. Oh, and she was very yeah. pleasant. A little tomboyish. Is that what you mean? A little bit, but she's 5'10". Hmm. And, and dynamite. But anyway. Hmm. He, so well, what's her talent? What's her talent? There was no talent. This is not a one where they have talent. Did you, well, well, didn't the, she say something about saving the world? High heels is their talent. <laughs> didn't she say something about saving the world? Come on, they have to do the interview questions. Okay, well, let me go to that part of my little list of complaints. <laughs> so the one of the girls who was really actually one of the better looking ones, and, and I could have been a winner, I believe was... Uh, and I just want yeah, to point out that you are the man that yelled at me for liking reality television, yet you're willing to sit through the Miss USA competition. Fantastic. Only to criticize it, not to praise it. Okay. So here's the, here's the kicker. Miss Pennsylvania, who's gorgeous, she has to come up to do, um, to, to, they, and they pick this weird, they do this weird thing. Um, they pick from a, a bin, or no, Donnie picks from a bin. Donnie? Or they pick from it. Or Donnie Osmond. Oh, Donnie Osmond. They were hosting it? Oh, fantastic. So anyway, so they pick from a bin and they give the thing to Donnie. And then Donnie says, okay, your question will come from. And they have like 10 judges. And these are the top five girls. So there's five people are going to ask questions. They have these canned questions. So this poor woman from Pennsylvania gets that idiot, Heather Mills, (laughs) who is one of the judges. Oh, no. As the questioner. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. <laughs> so Heather Mills asked her what she thinks about selling, you know, that the the big makeup companies and cosmetics firms are marketing to kids. Do you think this is right? And of course the probably the poor woman from Pennsylvania doesn't know what a what a what a nut job this Heather Mills is and how she's like a vegan and a screwball. <laughs> and so a vegan. So girls, what do you mean a vegan? So the pagan pagan is what you mean. Yeah. So the woman says, well, you know, there's a lot of, you know, she kind of hemmed and hawed, but says, yeah, it's fine because there's some products, you know, and they would like facial cleaners and things like that. She, even though she didn't say that, but that's what she was hinting at would be okay. And you could just see the look on Heather's face. Like she's lowballing this chick. Yeah. And in fact, Miss Pennsylvania came in dead last <laughs> because Heather probably zeroed her out, which you can do in these kinds of competitions and just lower the number. And Heather was just sitting there steaming that this girl would not have said what she would hope she'd say no all cosmetic companies are evil evil they test on animals oh she's an activist so she was out so i thought that was pretty bad just 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 uh, one thing i'm looking at the website from missusa.com so i can follow along and look at these girls so there's two huge banner ads on the on the entire website guess what they're for cosmetics weight loss 
Oh, weight loss, right. <laughs> drop well, you drop girls, a stone in two weeks loss. to thepinkpatch.co.uk. So it's actually a, a patch that you put onto your abdomen, and it helps you lose weight. Yeah. My God, how sick is that? That's sick. So Chris, anyway. Crystal Stewart, that's her name? Who the won? one from Pennsylvania? Mm-hmm. No, no uh, Miss USA. Oh, yeah, she's the girl from Texas. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even, you know, she was okay. Except for the she fact had, she's her face 26. Look, her face looks, you know, she's 20. Yeah, but dude, her, her face looks, has the features of the Crypt Keeper. You know what? I had questions. She looked a little bit too much like Condoleezza Rice. And here's the other thing that I saw on the bit. show, and I actually took some photos of this. I was thinking of blogging it because I get carried away watching this crap. So... Donny Osmond, and only one time, first he gives the, uh, he takes the the question out and he opens it and shares it with Marie, lets her read it. And then with, with the woman from Texas, who was a black girl, he pulls the thing out or she, she gives him the thing. He says, let me read this one, Marie. And he kind of holds it away from her. And Marie has to kind of look over to see what it is. And he says, your question comes from number nine, Sean Merriman, the only black judge, coincidentally. Oh, man. Okay. And then he keeps the thing close to his vest, and I think Marie got a glimpse of it because you had, if you have to, you know, you can do, you can pull this off because it said anything on there, been, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And she had a weird look on her face, like this is like something's weird here is going on. So Sean Merriman, the only black judge, asked the only black contestant uh, some softball question about something or other. She answered it rather poorly, to be honest about it. I didn't think he even pulled it off. But that was that. And Donnie says, good answer. And he gives her a big kudos. And then he, did, he ditches this thing into the th- into the drawer. The next one he pulls out, you know, he, the two of them look at it together. And it was like everything was kosher after that. So I think that the whole thing was rigged. Well, dude, uh, but here, here's the rest of the Here's the, the judging panel. Okay. Heather Mills. Oh, 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 this is cool. I'm reading from the, from the website. It actually, it actually gives their credentials, okay? These are the, the people who have the credentials to choose Miss USA, representing the proud United States of America, ladies and gentlemen. Heather Mills, a Brit, who was a contestant on season four of Dancing with the Stars, not, not mentioning that uh, she's, she divorced Paul McCartney. Rob Schneider, <laughs> star of I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, <laughs> Joey Fatone, host of The Singing Bee, formerly of uh, Boy Band Blue, I think. Uh, Christian Alfonso, entrepreneur and star of NBC's Days of Our Lives, a soap star. Olympic gold medal winner Amanda Beard. Christian Cyrano? Uh, was it Christian Cyrano? The season's yeah. winner of Bravo's hit show Project Runway. San Diego Chargers linebacker Sean Lights Out Merriman, <laughs> celebrity hairstylist Ken Paves, Kelly Carlson, star of Nip Tuck, founder and by the C- way, she by the way Kelly Carlson looked better than all those girls. Oh, I bet generally you. Generally speaking, I bet you. And then uh, founder and CEO of Planet Hollywood International Inc. Robert Earl and Vanity Fair celebrity journalist George Wayne. They should have put like Perez Hilton in there. That would have completed the lineup. Well, they had that one guy, that little weird gay character who is this kind of uh, who ended up asking uh, Miss uh, Oklahoma who was I was rooting for who's the, the, who's the little weird gay character John he's a little weird gay I just gave character. you all the names 
I know. He's one of those guys. He's uh, mm. he's just a weird little Donny gay Osmond? character. Was that him? Was that the no. weird little gay guy? <laughs> he's a little skinny little gay character. And he plays, you know, he, I don't even know if he's really gay, but he sure plays one. Mm. And he's, you know, but it's like that exaggerated phony yeah. baloney, okay. you know, almost, yeah. like, almost insulting gay. Mm-hmm. And um, he asked the... the um, Miss Oklahoma question about, you know, who just some idiotic question where, where Britney Spears came into the conversation. Which, <laughs> oh, thank goodness. We worked her in. Which sunk Miss Oklahoma, actually. So that was the end of her. So, he, so can you just, I mean, my point is, is being made here, John, that the interviews is the most important part of these, uh, of these pageants because you can totally get, you know, lose it on your answer. Right. And that brings me to the only point I was actually trying to make. Okay. Uh, which is that there's been numerous studies done by universities all over the place about the order of appearance and the resultant scores from judges. And so everything that happens last, it becomes more important than what right. happens early. Makes sense. And it's particularly true with people who come rolling out on like, you know, here we go with the bathing suit contest and let's judge number one, number two, number three, number four. The number one person, 99% of the time, no matter how they look, will get one of the lowest, if not the lowest scores. And the last person tends to get higher scores. And so it, it builds because the judges, as they get warmed up, they start getting looser and then pretty soon they're giving bigger numbers. And that's yeah. what happened in this. So I watched the the um, the gown thing after the bathing suit thing. They had the girls come out in gowns and it was like some of these gowns are just horrible. But the girl who came out with a really nice black dress and she was really pretty She and she was supposed to be for elegance and all this other stuff comes out as Miss Massachusetts. So I, I took my pen out and started writing down the scores as they came out because they put them up so you could see this trend. So she comes out first, 8.4. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Then the next person comes out. It's kind of pretty, but she's no better than Miss Massachusetts and probably not as elegant because she was the Massachusetts girls wearing black and she could walk in heels. 8.6. Then New Jersey comes out, who I thought was good looking anyway. She should have gotten a really high score because she was gorgeous. 8.9. So it's just almost like they're just adding, you know, it's not right, even it's looking at anybody. Right. Now, do their scores determine the ultimate winner or was there like an SMS text It's part of a combination of vote. scores and then I think they do a final. I don't know. Did they do Whatever SMS the texting? Did the, did the public choose or, or was it just the judges? No, just the judges. Oh, that's so we go out. So we go 8.4, 8.6, 8.9. Next one, Pennsylvania girl comes out. She is stiff. She's the one who got screwed by Heather. She's stiff. She doesn't look like she really likes to walk around in gowns at all. 9.0. Or 9.1 almost. It just gets worse. Mm. The, the Danica Patrick girl from Oklahoma who had the one of the worst gowns imaginable, just a horrible looking thing. She comes out and actually trips. She stumbles. <laughs> she gets nine point she gets nine point three. I love it when that happens. That's like I love or they well, fall down the steps. It was it, it was it was just subtle. It was just a little bitty stumble. It yeah, wasn't but, like she hey, fell but on her you ass. You know what? You should not be getting a nine point six if you stumble. I'm sorry. Nine point three. She got nine point three. But the point is is it builds and builds and builds. And then next Mississippi comes out who had another horrible outfit on. I mean, this she made her because you, you just saw her in a in a bikini. She's beautiful shape. She's wearing this. I don't know how you could even find a dress that makes what's probably a perfect body look like it's got a big square butt that's <laughs> huge. It's like, is this the same girl? Gluteus Maximus. 
It's amazing what dresses can do. She got an 8.9, which is way too high. And it, and then Texas, when she comes, she, it's, it, all the scores are bigger at the end, except that I have to say they backed off, which was unusual. Indiana got slammed at 8.5 and Florida with 8.5, who looked like a horse in this thing. Now, the point is, though, the first girl got the lowest score, mm-hmm. and it was on. And if and you'd rearrange the order, she wouldn't have. She would, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why it should be an, an SMS vote. This makes no sense. The, 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 these idiots. I mean, who? I mean, people listening to us will say, "Who are you guys to judge?" But who are those guys to judge? The the whole thing is just a ridiculous so exercise. Bit, I'm, I'm surprised. I, mean, I wasn't even going to watch the whole thing, and I was just getting madder and madder watching what. I've, and then when Heather Mills pulled that stunt with the makeup uh, cosmetics question, they should have just shot terminated. her. Yeah. So uh, so the banner just rotated. Feeling fat. <laughs> Lose the tummy fast and easy with pink. It's, they're, they're they're drug dealers, dude. This whole thing is a they're pushers. That's what Amazing. it sounds like. Yeah. That's uh, produced by NBC Entertainment. I thought mine, I was wondering if it was like a brunette. It probably sucked. How was the production? Just sucked, right? No, actually, the production was quite good. Mm. Usually, it's, and I, I find that actually, to be but I was bad. most surprised by the studio. They had uh, they were doing in this new casino that I didn't even know existed. The uh, what do you call it? The Hall Planet Hollywood, Hollywood Casino yeah. and Hotel. Oh, it's and been around for a, a while, hasn't it? Oh, it, it? It opened. The, uh, yeah, we had a promotion on our network. We uh, we opened it up with the Black Peas. And a, and a band could perform on stage. I forget who won, but uh, yeah, that was uh, late last year. Hmm. Whatever the case, the um, they have a stage and a facility for doing productions like this that is absolutely fantastic. Nice. So, no, I thought the production was good. It wasn't bad. It didn't have any, you know... Uh, is that there's a lot of promotion going on during the thing. Donnie and Marie kept plugging each other, you know. Yeah, we got a show over here. You yeah. can, by the way, between after this, you can come by and see us. We'll be on, you're doing our 10 o'clock, you know, or whatever. That's kind, of the, that's kind of the deal with those shows. You know, that the, the, you always want someone who has a new show coming out or something to promote because you can get them to host it uh, on the cheap. That's like uh, Circus of the Stars. I don't know if you remember that show. I, I was on that one. I don't remember why I was on it, but... Um, that's that's Were a, you one of the guys that was stuffed in a small car? No, I told you uh, I was in the rocket car of death. <laughs> right, the rocket car. <laughs> I told you that, didn't I? Yeah, I think so. Mm. It's pretty funny. So anyway, so I wish that I could was find the footage of that. If someone has footage of me in the rocket car of death, Circus of the Stars, I think it was 1992, maybe. Someone will have it. Uh, I've been looking for it on Hulu. Uh, they, they, they do have, um, they have Swamp Thing on there. I did a full, a whole episode of Swamp Thing, but that's season two. They only have season one up. You were on Swamp Thing? Yeah, I, I was the lead role in huh. the episode, uh, Smoke and Mirrors. What did you play? A bad guy? Uh, Nathan, uh, rock star, out of control rock star. Quite a stretch, oh, I, I like have it. to say. It's, 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 yeah. <laughs> Quite a stretch. Typecasting. Mm-hmm. Hey, John, it's about an hour and a half now and the dog is freaking out here. Uh, uh All right, well, let me just say, I got one more thing to say, and I'm done. Okay. William Shatner was on Jay Leno last night. Oh, yeah, I missed that, too. I I saw the plug. How was he? Well, he was William Shatner. But I want to tell people out there, if you ever see William Shatner, there's a short thing to note. He only admitted to this once, by the way. It was on Letterman years and years ago. When he comes on the show and starts telling these stories, the stories are all 
crap. They're bullshit. And he had the story about sliding in a, just on the way over, kind of. You know, he's, he crashed his motorcycle, and he was wearing a skivvy shirt. is all he had on. And mm-hmm. it's just a bogus, phony story. He does these, nothing he, he says. On, it's, it's, all, it's all a lie. It's all a pack of lies. But it's funny. And it's he, entertaining. That's why he does it, obviously. Mm-hmm. But just note that when you see him. Don't go, wow, what a fascinating life he leads. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude, he uh, he played uh, opposite Heather Locklear, so he's my hero. <laughs> yeah, he would be. I like him. Though. Right. I, I, I love Boston Legal, too. The writing is spectacular. Yeah, I've stopped watching it. I think this season is getting kind of, I think it's getting uh, slow. Um. Well, I'm behind here because we get it uh, later, obviously. But uh, I'm still enjoying it very much. Well, that's probably the last, the next season when you start to see it, you'll probably think less of it. Oh, okay. All right, John, my friend, my uh, wife is coming home soon. My wife and daughter from Amsterdam, so uh, I got to prepare the house for them. Uh, yes, get to work. This was fun. We got a lot more to talk about. Should we do it again next week? I think so. <laughs> you got yourself a date. In the Curry Manor in Guilford, I'm Adam Curry. And as the temperature goes up and up and up, I'm John C. Dvorak in Northern California. And we'll talk to you again next week on No Agenda.